Welcome back, everyone, to R2Cast number 128. Uh, luckily, these aren't uploaded to YouTube anymore, and that's not a reflection on our guest today. That's a reflection on me. And the reason I say that is, ironically, you can't see me because it's on YouTube. Fantastic, not on YouTube. I am dressed as John Cena. For those of you that don't know who John Cena is, you'll never be able to see the man because he is invisible. He is a big WWE superstar and one of my heroes as a kid, hence why I have the t-shirt. But the only reason I'm wearing this is I would not normally use it in normal life or whatever, but I uh, have moved home. Well, not moved home. I'm just back home at mum and dad's ready for our livestock show tomorrow. Aaron show, ready to go, where I'm in charge of the dog ring, which is unfortunate because I couldn't tell you the difference between a Labrador and a Collie. But anyway, that is what I'm doing. Um, so that'll be always that'll be always quite entertaining for those listening and those watching on the day. So hopefully uh, by the time this is released, Aaron show has been successful and all has went well. Also, this will be the first episode out after I have now landed back in Scotland, having been in Tanzania, Rwanda, and I guess Dubai and Qatar. Um, with safari, seeing different food and farming, speaking at a global food summit. So hopefully in the next few episodes, you'll be hearing more about that. Um, I'm guessing I've had a good time. I'm guessing I haven't got yellow fever. I probably shouldn't joke about that. But anyway, enough about me and where I've probably been and the fact that I'm dressed as a wrestler. Um, today's R2Cast number 128, the last episode, such as the way numbers work, was 127, uh, where we had Gemma work. Gemma told us about her uh, time at uni with SRUC before she travelled to the States. Uh, and sort of, well, her dissertation with SRUC was based on embryo transfer. I won't tell you exactly what, because I can't remember. Uh, but go and listen to that and she'll tell you. Went out to the US, found a real interest in embryo transfer with a specific focus on beef. She then came back, found herself working with Genus and is now moving on to QMS by the time of this uh, episode coming out, I think she will be there. Our next episode is with National Farmers Union, NFU, Scotland, a few regional managers. We've got Holly, Sheena and Lauren, uh, who I believe cover Ayrshire, Argyle and somewhere near the Central Belt. Um, so we'll be hearing what they're doing in their regions, how they got to where they are and uh, just sort of more things NFU, Scotland. Um, but enough about the rest of the R2 cast. Today we have someone that, if you're someone, say someone more Wallace, if you are a person that likes the whole ag Instagram side of things, then I'm sure you follow this lady because she seems to be one of the stalwarts, one of the main ones, I would say. Um, and that is uh, Charlie Beatty. Charlie, would you like to say hello? Hi. <laughs> Oh, what, wow, what a, what a word. <laughs> Just before we get started with another episode of the R2 cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, A-Plan Rural. A-Plan Rural are heavily involved on the social media scene in the ag space with 120,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories. They also post to their rural community blog with further stories about these people in the industry. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to Aplan Rural for that. I would say it's true. I mean, you've very much been one that I've been aware of for some time. And that's not just because I know Eilish. Uh, I, uh, well, maybe, I don't think that was when I first came across you, but maybe it was. Who knows? It's, uh, maybe it was. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe it was. Maybe it was. If you do want to follow Charlie, you don't already. It's Charlie Farms now, isn't it? You've sort of rebranded something. Yeah, it is. It is. Because I, I, I've been home for four and a half years on the farm now. So I kind of got to the point where, um, yeah, I was like, it's not really globetrotting farm girl anymore but maybe we'll discuss that a little bit more later 
<laughs> just trotting, trotting around the farm herself. No, absolutely, absolutely. Well, do you know what, hey, Charlie? It's probably a good place to start. Tell us, tell us about, tell us about home. Tell us about the farm. <clears throat> uh, so yeah, so we're um, we're tenant farmers in North Warwickshire, so in the middle of England. In fact, our village is the official centre of England, although it's no longer the geographic one because of you know erosion and everything like that. So is that um, true? Yeah. We're losing so yeah, yeah. much. Oh yeah, so our we're our village is Meriden, and that's that's officially um, inverted commons. There, I'm wiggling my fingers. Um, <laughs> The centre, because nobody can see, uh, officially the centre of England, like we have like a, a, a monument and everything. But I think the actual centre of England is more towards Leicestershire, so Hinkley right. or somewhere like that. Um, so it's actually a bit more north of us now. Um, so I would have all, yeah, but yeah, well, yeah, we're losing, coastal erosion is somewhere. Or whether that's purely down to coastal erosion or more down to more accurate Mark, <laughs> I don't know, more accurate GPS. Um, so yeah, so we are beef, sheep and arable, and then we also do a little bit of contracting on the side. I work alongside my dad and my uncle, and yeah, I've been home for four and a half years. We've got a beef suckler herd, so we run um, Simmental cows, and we've been running a Simmental bull for 13 years now, so they're pretty pure Simmental cows. And then our flock of ewes, uh, so we've got about 300 breeding ewes, we'll just say over 300 breeding ewes, about 85 head of breeding cows, and then, yeah, the arable side. So it's a very traditional mixed farm that kind of sits in our, our area. Um, it, we are a very traditional mixed farming area. Are so. you selling fat uh, cattle or at store? No, we sell a store. So we're not set up for fat. We don't grow any maize or anything like that. And it wouldn't suit our system to be pumping them full of concentrates, like shed space and everything like that. So we generally sell at between 12 and 18 months in the local market. And that works quite nicely for us. We've built up quite a rapport with buyers and we have our regular buyers there and they do, they do best for us like that. And uh, sheep-wise, maybe you did see this, I don't think you did. Is it mules or is it what you're running? So we're a mixture at the moment. We... I've always been mules for as long as I can remember. And then when I came home four and a half years ago, we'd got a real problem with lameness. So we were absolutely rife with COD, which is contagious yeah. ovine yeah. digital dermatitis. Um, and as it says on the tin, highly contagious. And I don't even know what our lame percentage was, but we were getting through bottles of Zactran like it was going out of fashion. And for anyone that's farming, they will know that Zactran is bloody expensive. So um, I introduced, and, and to be honest, you know, dad's, a, dad's absolutely brilliant with the livestock and everything, but he'd not really looked into what it was. He was kind of just, I think, it, I don't even know if we were using Zatron at that point. He was just kind of jabbing them with what was ever, whatever was in the medicine cabinet and treating it just as foot rot, really. Um, and then I came home, kind of have a bit, probably just a bit more of a keener interest in that kind of thing, like looked at it and I was like, oh, this isn't just foot rot. Got some vet advice and started culling really hard so we dropped our breeding use quite significantly we used to be lambing around 330 head and then in the first couple of years when I came home we were down to like more like 270 which doesn't seem like a lot but when you well it's 10% it's well like 20% of the flock really so yeah we dropped quite a bit and that was mainly because we were culling so many but uh, the replacement cost was so high because the price of use kind of went from maybe like 125 for a mule in the market pounds per head to like 
nearly well getting up towards 200 so um yeah we just we just held back off replacing all of what we were culling and now we're back we're back up to those numbers again um but yeah culling isolation three strike rule everything had purple spray on it everything and now now we're down to i don't know we'd be one or two percent lameness in the flock we're really hot on it now so and that's so we went we've got we've moved away from the north country mules and it's a real shame because i think a north country mule is kind of your ideal you really maybe not you know you could have a bit better in terms of confirmation but you those maternal instincts and those mothering traits maternal values they are just superior and um you know they're a nice size you sometimes a bit big for my liking but that's kind of personal preference i guess um but they're just fantastic mothers. They'll happily rear two lambs. They're prolific. They're easy lambing. Um, they do well whether they're outside or inside. And yeah, they really, really suited our system. But buying them in every year, we were just opening ourselves ourselves up to just buying in infection and getting after spending so, like every every week of the year. Like, we'd be like twice, three times a week. We'd be up with the ewes, jabbing and treating and isolating and we're arable as well like we can't be doing that through all the summer like we need our ewes to be left alone not have to touch them you know glance at them see that they're all right and not do anything with them and they were so intensive for a couple of years but yeah now um now we're, we're well we're clear of cod thankfully and the lameness is pretty minor so um okay. so we've moved to we've moved to a clean view a clean um and not i don't I don't like them as much as I like the mules, and I don't think they're the be-all and end-all, but they're a really good starting point for us. So, I would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information on our primary sponsors, A-Plan Rural. A-Plan offer bespoke cover for farms and estates, the UK over, and will give you tailored insurance for anything on the farm, from your old workhorse tractor that's been around 20 years, or a fancy new and exciting diversification. Yeah. Uh, the intensity of that two or three times a week all year is an extortionate labour cost as well, isn't it? Even if you don't oh, consider God, it yeah. constantly that. And I think you must be <clears throat> trying to think. I have two other folk on the podcast, and I can't actually remember who that mentioned CODD and how, you know, just exactly as you said, the C is correct, it is right, it says what it does in the tin. It flies through them, you know. Oh, it does. All I've ever heard. Um, yeah and you'll the way you're like running them through the pens so our we don't have a fancy setup especially on the main block that where the ewes usually are they're in the pens the handling pens that we have up there are small cattle pens so you know they do what we need them to and we've kind of adapted them to be better for sheep but they're not perfect and it's on rough like gravelly ground so <clears throat> when you're trying to walk through them in those pens and see who's lame anything will hobble slightly because it's on rough gravel and then you'll let them out and you'll be like, oh, for God's sake, there's one going that I've not marked that's hopping and <clears throat> or on two legs. And yeah, it was a, it was a real pain in the ass. And you'd, something that wasn't lame two days ago, you'll shepherd the next day and she'll be on one like three legs. And yeah, and there'd always be generally there'd, there'd always be two of us going up there to do it. And yeah, through harvest, it's just like we really don't need this. <laughs> it's the last thing you want to harvest the last thing is we at home here we run <clears throat> originally it would have been blackies uh, probably in my lifetime in fairness just just scottish black face on the hill um and then now 
126. We've we've sort of mum and dad are trying to move away to Chiefs on the hill, but also have got Blackies and Swaledale, and some I guess Blackie Swaledale cross. So do sort of maybe unofficially have some North of England mules, but um, every scanner I've spoken to says they're the most prolific. Like they just cross the board. It seems to be, and maybe I'm wrong here, but about 220, 230 from what I understand. Uh, Which is that with the with the mules or with the Clintons? The the North of England mules, yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> they are. We've always been religiously around that two hundred percent mark, and we've lost it a little bit with the Clintons, but it's not been it's not been a fair trial for them just yet because we've had two years. For the first year, I'd obviously just got young ewes. I'd got like oh, I've got shearling ewes or gimmers. Um, yeah. the yeah. first time lammers, and then the second year. And the first years, I didn't have a spare teaser tub, and I got, I was running them completely separately because we were still dealing with the cod in the mules. And then last year, <clears throat> so lambing time, 2022 was the first time I mixed them. Uh, um, and then <clears throat> last summer, obviously, was not a good one for their prolificacy because we were absolutely bone dry. We lamb in February, which meant that we were tapping in September, and it was you know it's a desert down here this time last year so they didn't get flushed or anything and we scanned at 151 percent which is wow is, yeah yeah pretty terrifying for us last year but you know it's 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 not done it was an easy lambing this year really compared to other lambings because you know I wasn't going out and having with you in a usual year we would have twice as many triplets as we do singles <laughs> which is yeah um really? <laughs> yeah more than I want to deal with um and this year we didn't we had like half or not even well no we had the same amount of singles as we did twins and then like 25 triplets wow. so it just meant that you weren't going out in the morning and kind of going into the triplets pen and finding six ewes of lambed one ewes got 12 lambs and two have decided they don't want to be mothers and <laughs> you're trying to work out who's is who's and so yeah, it was it was pretty it was pretty low stress this lambing, and then the the lambs also having so many singles and also so much so much grass around the shear, they've rocketed away. So we're nearly we've nearly got through all of ours now, which yeah, a normal year we wouldn't have done them. Yeah, it's it, it just it's just the way it goes, isn't it really? Uh, I actually quite like the clean clean. I never know exactly how you say it. I hear one person say what is that right? Clean. I don't know. I don't know. I just I call them cleans, but I know I know that it is like clean. Or something like that. I'm very Clint. English. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm being very Scottish as well. Clin, I always think, sounds quite close to Clun Forest. But anyway, we know what we're talking about, the white ones. Um, yeah, the white ones. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Will Rubottom, if you're listening. Uh, I very much am a fan, but uh, the one thing I would say, having worked with them for a few lambing times now, is they're a bit skittish as mothers. You know, that you can sort of, they seem fine in an individual pen and then you go and put them out into a bigger pen and they still sort of give you the vibe that they're okay. And then you get them out into the field, you put the lambs down and mum's gone. <laughs> gone. Yeah, so I, I, I culled one last year because she, I had to put a hurdle over the top of her pen. So we lamb okay. indoors um, because we've got the arable as well. I'd love to lamb outside and I'd love to lamb a bit later on and lamb outside, but it suits us lambing in February for a couple of reasons because it means that we're all done and dusted by the time that kind of first spinning, spinning yeah. and any spring drilling or anything comes around. Um, and it means that we hit that early lamb market. So the early spring lamb market, we, we hit well and that financially does quite nicely for us. Whether if I sat down and weighed up the cost, the 
how much lower the, our costs would be from lambing outside, whether it would still be worth hitting that outside that early spring lamb market for us. I'm not sure, but that's something to kind of consider in the next few years, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I culled one last year because I just couldn't keep on the pen. She's like, she wanted a lamb. She was a good mother. Well, I say she was a good mother. You know, she had a maternal instinct and she, she didn't hate her lamb. She just didn't want to stay in the pen. And she was wild. And I was like, I just, you are a no, absolutely no. And she, you know, she, there was nothing else special about her. She wasn't, she hadn't thrown out incredible twins and she wasn't really milky or anything. So I was like, oh, look, bye. I think yeah, you've got it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. I mean, I remember her. Eight. Her number was eight. That's who she was. And yeah, I think it was orange eight, which seems to be cursed because it was bad last year as well. I just popped her out. <laughs> and I've actually got, I made a TikTok just by chance I had the drone up and uh, there's a TikTok and it's got like the Benny Hill da -da 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 and we're trying to sort of like mix them all, uh, not mix them up, unmix them up and she was the cause for that issue. But uh, yeah, you do sort of have to be harsh with it. It, it seems like the only policy. Um, yeah, mine didn't have a number. She had a red stripe down her back instead. <laughs> <laughs> it's her. That's all that matters. She's gone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. You mentioned... That's it, that's it. Uh, you mentioned Charlie there last year being just like a, a desert. And I mean, we all sort of like warm weather. We like it dry here and there. But last year was awful. And I think the one I remember most was um, Chris Woodstead, like the super serious farmer, like Zoe Colville's partner. Yeah. He put out a, a drone shot going over their land. It just looked like the Serengeti. And we were thinking, jings, but... The reason I'm saying this is, and if anyone's listening, they want to hear Chris and Zoe's story, it's R2Cast73. The reason I'm saying that, though, is fast forward 11, month, eh, 11 months, um, we're now at the start of August, and you're having the opposite challenge this year. Uh, so at the time of release, maybe maybe uh, all harvest is done, but certainly at the time of recording, you're having some challenges. Can you tell us what's going on there? I can guarantee that at the time of release, our harvest will not all be done. <laughs> um, <laughs> just, I well, it will be some some sort of miracle if it is having looked at the long range for the weather forecast. So, yeah, so we had a really nice kind of May, June was, I think June was pretty decent as well. And then, yeah, this July has just been absolutely miserable. And it was it was getting a bit dry kind of a couple of months ago and it was like oh you know some rain would be nice I can remember actually it was one of our local shows at the start of June and it was like yeah yeah some rain a bit of rain would be nice on this and and whatnot um kind of thinking oh yeah I hope it's not a complete repeat of last year because like twice three times a day our breeding ewes would be out those mules just decided the clins were actually all right bearing in mind they're the more skitty ones it was the mules that decided that they were actually um trailing for yeah training for the grand national and a barbed wire fence was no problem to them and we've got some you know not completely dodgy fencing but some of those some of those fences have got a little bit of give in them and uh <laughs> the full advantage of that so yeah it was getting because we didn't have an overly well we had quite a dry winter again so similar to last year as well so the winter of 2020 21 no 21 um, a dry winter so quite conscious that the water tables would be quite low again um, and if we were going to have a dry summer then it could be the same as last year but yeah those water tables are definitely back up again now so uh, we've actually we've it's it's the first of August today as we as we record this and we've still not cut our hay <laughs> so um, it's going to be a case of as soon as we get 
like five or six days of dry weather, the hay's going to get cut, the wheat's going to get cut, it's going to be all go. But at the moment, I'm pretty much sat here twiddling my thumbs, doing odd, like I've been topping today. It's the first <laughs> order I've been topping. Like, what? That's ridiculous. Who goes, yeah, I, should, I shouldn't be doing this in the first of August. I should be flat out. I should be have I should have full on harvest fever. I'm wearing I'm wearing shorts and sunglasses on my head, and that's like only to man- manifest the sun. Like I'm in a big jumper as well. I'm trying to manifest the sun with my shorts. It's not working. Ah, yeah, I'll get back to you on that one. I'll I'll be honest. When I messaged you originally, it was kind of like a in my head when I sent it. I was like, this will be a we'll get in touch in October. Uh, you know. It was not. <laughs> you're like, you're like, yeah, it's going to be fine. Uh, yeah, so no. It's well, it was going to be, it was, I think I said to you, I was like, the sooner the better because the wheat's not quite fit yet and the forecast is pretty rubbish. So if we can crack on with this and get it done, then I'm not going to constantly be putting you off and going, oh, I can't do now because we're busy. Can we do next week? Oh, can we push it back a week? So I knew that if we got it in this next week, I'd be pretty safe. <laughs> so give us, give us a normal year hay date. Uh, Kind of mid mid July, yeah. yeah depend- uh, last year we were, I think last year we were early, yeah, early July. Two years ago we were kind of like the twentieth of July, so around then, around the twentieth of July. We're not that much later yet. It's just the fact that I know we that the forecast is so rubbish. I know it. I feel yeah, it's going to be ages. Yeah, it's not tomorrow for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Dad yeah. did say when I said, I said, oh my god, it's going to be. August and we won't have cut the hay and dad went ah oh, 2012 we did it in September I was like oh oh really I, I was at uni. yeah so that was when I just started uni but I can't, yeah I can't remember it being in September but it was so it's it's funny it's funny you say that because yeah you've just said we're filming on the August 1st the August 1st that's not how you speak anyway um, <laughs> August 1st and you said 2012 August 1st 2012 dad mum and I won the overhead championship at the local show we have tomorrow and uh, it was like every step your welly came off stuck in the ground wet so yeah. I'm not over shocked uh, I'm guessing Warwickshire's used to slightly better weather than Scotland but uh, we're, we're still kind of similar <laughs> yeah I can I can remember that but I can also remember it being an absolute scorching week for the Royal Welsh because I went to the Royal Welsh with a load of friends from Young Farmers. And I remember it. it well, I got heat stroke on the first day. Because I remember we were in the Young People's Village when it was still run by Young Farmers and it was still cool. And <laughs> <laughs> no offence to anyone that was there this year. Um, <laughs> or since it's not been run by Young Farmers. Um, and I remember the first night, the first night that they had in the big top. I think they got Scott Mills in there. And I remember I had, I went and got my wristband, managed to wing myself an over 18 wristband, even though I was like 17 at the time. <laughs> and yeah, I was, I, I had to go to bed and go and put myself to bed in our tent. And I remember coming out of the do and like running behind a tree and being violently ill. And I could hear the security guards tittering about, oh, look at that drunk girl. And I was like, I'm not drunk. I've got sunstroke. <laughs> and I was so, oh God, I felt so rough. I barely drunk anything. Well, Alcohol-wise, I clearly barely drank any water either, but <laughs> scorcher. So you can just you can just hear the security guard saying, "Ah, yes, sunstroke, that old chestnut." Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. I've never, I've never been to Welsh. I've never been to Bomoro. I've never been to Yorkshire. But next year, I think I'm going to have to do all three because I, 
we went on a young farmers um, exchange at the start of July. Typically, it was like coming down the River Nile on the M6. The weather was that bad, but um, the they they hyped up the Welsh, and now I've got a lot of them on social media now, and they hyped it up well. I think I'll have to go well, next year. This is saying something. So even Ailish, so Ailish is my best mate, and you know Ailish because she's a fellow yeah. Scot and whatnot. And you were at uni together, were you? Yeah, yeah. If not um, just because we're Scottish, like we don't all know each other, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, and she, and even she says the Welsh is the best. Yeah, I've heard it from everyone. Like, uh, yeah. I was, well, I, I went, um, yeah, she said it the other week and I was like, oh, surely that's like a bit, you know, rogue to say that as a Scot. Like, surely you should say the Highland, but she was like, yeah, no, the Welsh is just different. So I I've think, never done, I've never done the Highlands, so, or Balmoral. I think the, re- the reason I've, I've got a bit of a soft spot for the Highland is the obvious, but also in the last couple of years, I've sort of started to really get involved, like doing a bit of present and then doing quite a bit here and there. And I really like that, but the Welsh, from a party perspective, just looks class. But speaking of young farmers, um, you are involved, and I think still quite involved in young farmers. Could you tell us about your life with them? <clears throat> yeah, so I joined Young Farmers when I was just before I turned 14. So <laughs> that's 14. I've been in Young Farmers now longer than I've Did been you- a, than I than I'd been alive when I started. I've just realised. <laughs> <laughs> So I started when I was, yeah, just before I was 14. I'm now 28. So um, this would be coming into my last year. Um, I remember it, mum and dad, so mum and dad were both in Young Farmers. I was very much born into it, like mum and dad. Mum was very heavy in Young Farmers. She used to be um, the PAA of Tanner Shields, who was like uh, the uh, CO of Young Farmers, whatever James whatever James Eckley's title is now. Um, so the big dog in Young Farmers, not like the national chair, but the paid big dog. Um, sure so mum was his PA. So mum like knows the in, ins and outs of Young Farmers. And I had some friends from, I just had some friends when I was younger and they used to go ice skating in Coventry on a Friday night. And okay. I went a couple of times with them and I was like really enjoying it. And suddenly I was in Coventry on a Friday night at like just before I was 14 and uh, I remember dad telling me a few years later, he was there, and that was the point I turned around to your mother and said, it's time to push her into young farmers <laughs> before I went down the wrong route. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah so um, started when, yeah, started when I was 14. I've always, I've always been one of those people that get stuck in. So I was, I got onto the committee of my club. So I joined, um, I joined Meriden Young Farmers to begin with, which was the club that dad was in. Um, and our nearest club but there was no one else my age so I made friends with a, a, a girl particularly called Hannah from Colesville which was the other nearest club um, and started just started going along to Colesville instead and I've been with Colesville ever since and um, yeah been been involved on the committee quite a lot so I did programme secretary for a few years and I've done um, vice chair and uh, loads of different roles in club when I went off to uni, I'd still, because I was only 50 minutes away from uni, so just shy of an hour. Um, so it's still, if there were like competitions on at the weekend and stuff, it's still quite easy to come home and get involved when I needed people. And I've always been one of those weirdos that enjoys public speaking and stuff judging and the, the kind of some of the less popular competitions. But if you ask me to play hockey, that's an absolute hell no, unless you're going to put me in goal with all of the pads on, because the idea of young farmers running around with sticks and a hard ball yep. is just terrifying to me. Um, dangerous without sticks and a hard ball 
Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'd I'd be happier without the six and a half ball because I I used to play rugby, so I could cope with that. But hockey, hell no. Um. So so yeah. Uh. And then I came back when I came back from tra- uh, travellings. I came back in 2019 and got involved with the county committee for the first time. Um. Jumps on our county finance and organisation committee, and from there became vice chair and then county chairman. Chairwoman, chairperson, chair, county chair. Uh, and I've been county chair for this. I'm just finished the end of my second year now. So, Excellent. yeah. And is it a two-year post normally, or did you have to get voted in for the second year again? Um, I, you kind of, you have to get voted in, but nobody stood against me, so it was fine. That's just good. proposed, really. It wasn't a vote. Yeah. Any intention to go to whichever you call the next level? <clears throat> national well there's area and then there's national um i go to the area meetings it's kind of part of my role as as chair of the county um and i do i get involved with national a bit quite socially and more like opinionated and stuff like that rather than actually doing any of the roles just because count and i've spoken to a couple of people so we one of the ex-national chairmen's jim chapman is an ex Warwickshire member and he was county chair as well and I think he did it, did it for two years like I've done and he has always said to me he was like county chair was so much harder than national chair um, like so much more work and everything like that and I whilst I really enjoy getting involved at national and that, like mingling with that group I do not have the brain capacity to do national as well um, and yeah I don't know I'm coming to my last year now so I kind of feel like I'm at the point where I've I've been proactive within national, not in one of the major roles, um, and I'm all right with that. I've I'm I'm coming to my last year, and if I'm I'm just at the point where I just want to enjoy it now, rather than I'm I'm quite happy at the level I'm at. So I don't really I don't I have no aspirations to be national chair, especially as it's like a three year wait to get there. I'll be there. Well, I'll be over thirty by the time I got there, and that's a no from me. And it probably is important to mention that you have now spent just as much time in Young Farmers as you haven't, uh, which is quite impressive. When you consider that zero yeah. to five, you don't really know what's going on. So you've probably spent more time in Young Farmers than you haven't. <laughs> yeah, I have. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm at the point, I, I've loved being county chair, but it has been. Coming back after COVID was hard. Yeah. And I've had a really, really good team around me. It's been, it's been hard work, but this year especially we have had an incredible year financially and it just you know it's meaning that we're allowed we're able to put some of that money that we took out of savings back into savings now because there's going to be another time when we need it and the last time we dipped into savings was foot and mouth in 2001 oh brilliant so it's been a while and you know yeah and i i hope it's at least that long again before we need them but everyone's kind of thinking oh you know we've had a really good financial year this year and it's like we have but also we took like 15 to 20 grand out of our savings over COVID. So let's try and put some of that back now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's been, I've loved it. It's exhausting. You know, I'll be at Young Farmers meetings twice, sometimes three, four nights a week, sometimes um, easily twice a week. Yeah. And that's, yeah. and often the twice a week is before I count in my, my club social meeting. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I've loved it, but I am. I'm at the point now. Where I'm I'm done. I'm I'm looking forward to the end. I am I'm I am and I'm not. So, yeah. It's one of those bittersweet ones, isn't it? <clears throat> it's better because you like it, 
and it's sweet because you were ready for a break and an earned break I would yeah. say as well. Um, yeah, if I did another year, I would hate it, and I, I never want to. Yeah. yeah, that's a good I way to put leave it. on a high. Yeah, definitely. And uh, you mentioned uni there. Was it Harper you went to? Is that right? Yeah, it was. So I, yeah, so I kind of fell into Harper. And don't get me wrong, at that point in my life, it's where I'd have chosen anyway, I think. Um, but I, <laughs> I did quite well in my GCSEs with very little effort. So I sailed through there, didn't do any revision, came out with a mixture of A's and B's and an A star thrown in there and Bob's your uncle, bingo. Swung into A-levels thinking that it would be exactly the same. Spent my revision leave at the start of the first summer silaging. And funnily enough, when it came to results day, I got three E's and a B. (laughs) (laughs) At that point, I was thinking, shit, what do I do now? (laughs) Um, But I had just been to the Royal Welsh before I got my results. And I'd met a girl there who was going to Harper. And she was going on what they call an access course. So then when, and we became really good friends. So when I got my results for her, I remember speaking to her and her being like, look at Harper because they do the access course. Like, you'll be fine. They'll just want your GCSE results. They won't be worried about your AS level results. Have a look into it. And it meant that I could go a year early. Mm-hmm. So um, it kind of has an unfavorable nickname at Harper. So it's the access course, but everyone calls it SPACCESS um, because it's all <laughs> of those that, you know, didn't go through A levels or didn't go through college and went a year early. And it was don't get me wrong it was an absolute goss year like some of the stuff we did on it was so basic um but 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 it was it but at the same time it taught me it got it put me in really good stead for my proper first year because I learned how to do my assignments and everything like that and I learned about referencing and all that jazz so actually when it came down to first year for the proper time I was ahead of the game a bit because I'd got all that bit sussed um but yeah so I was 17 when I went to Harper um our year was the first year that they, we had our student card, our white physical student cards. I don't know if they even have physical student cards anymore, but it's all on your phone. We do um, up here, in fairness, we do still. Yeah. Oh, you do? There you go. Um, but our year was the first year that they started printing under 18 on them in big red letters because <laughs> we used to use it as ID to get into the nightclub in Newport. Um, they'd just see that we've got a student card and they'd accept that as a form of ID. So we were, yeah, we were constantly out. Um, yeah so from now on they always put under 18 but luckily I was so good at losing my student cards and then finding them again that I'd got a whole array so when they asked us to hand our student cards in I'd got like 12 to choose from I was like yeah sure no bother I've got a load without the under 18 on <laughs> so, yeah yeah I love that how long were you there for how long were you at Harper for so I did five years at Harper so four in one out um, my placement year was compulsory part of my four-year degree but yeah. the access year for a year at the start, and then I went into a Bachelor of Science with honours in agriculture. Yeah. So I went I went on to a proper, I didn't have to do a foundation degree or anything. After that, I went on to a full Bachelor of Science degree. Yeah, um, yeah I did my placement. Um, the placement is, probably for me, the placement year is the best thing that I got out of university. Um, but I like the friends and the contacts that I've made. Yeah. But placement year has got me to even though I'm back on the farm now, it's got me to where I am and where I am as a person. And it opened so many doors for me and gave me so, so many opportunities. And it was what it was how I got to travel so much of Australia and New Zealand. And yeah, I loved it. So, um, yes, I'm mean, saying how much I love my placement. Yeah, I should probably tell you what I did for my placement. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I went and worked for Class UK 
Um, okay. So I went in, into machinery. I was dealership based though. So I applied for, I kind of thought like, so when, when you're at uni, there's like the cool placements. So there's, there's the placements that the cool people do. And like marketing and that for the big machinery um, brands is generally classed as quite a cool placement to do. Um, so, you know, whether you're doing marketing for class or John Deere or New Holland. So I applied for a few. I applied for with. No, I didn't. With with uh, Case New Holland, I applied for um, product demonstrate the product demonstrator placement role. And then for class and John, John Deere, there was like a mix sales and marketing. And then class, there was marketing. They got loads with class, though. So I sent my application in. I, I had my CNH um, interview first, and that was on Tuesday. So I drove down to Basildon and I went in and I was had my interview. And because obviously, like my name's Charlie, but I'm Charlotte, really. So on my CV yeah. and everything, Charlotte's. Um, a lot of people don't realize that. A lot of people don't realize I'm I found Charlotte. out about an hour and a half ago when I looked you up. Oh, the last bit oh. Of <laughs> 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 um, Charlotte, when I'm in trouble, I don't really answer to it. Ailish calls me Charlotte a lot of the time, but I forget that's my actual name. Um, well, so I went down when I if it helps, Wallace isn't my real... Well, it's my real name. It's not my first name. Um, oh, I prefer Wallace. Um, everyone does. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, it's much cooler. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, I went into this interview and they didn't do anything with us beforehand. Like, we just kind of sat there waiting one at a time. I, don't, I can't remember how many there were, of us there were. There weren't many, like five of us maybe. Um, and I went into this interview and there was, a lady and a man sat in front of me and they slid over this piece of paper to me and I looked down and it was my it was a job description and they were interviewing me for um HR so human resources and I kind of sat there a little bit flabbergasted I was only 19 at the time and it was like my first proper interview and they asked me a couple of questions and then she said so why you know why have you applied for this role and I said oh I haven't and she kind of looked at me and she went, well, why do you think you'd be good at this role? Oh, no, it wasn't. It was, why do you think you'd be good at this role? And I was like, oh, no, I, I wouldn't. And she said, so how, why have you applied for this role? And I was like, I, I haven't. And she kind of just looked at me. And I think that because it had come up on their system, I'd come up with Charlotte. They'd gone, oh, human resources, not product demonstrator. And they were like, right. yes, so what did you apply for? And I was like, oh, I applied for the product demonstrator role. And they were like, oh, that, those interviews aren't until tomorrow. So they kind of they dragged someone out of the woodwork to come and interview me and I remember them saying to me this this guy that interviewed me he was going you know it's a lot of traveling with this role and you know they'd be traveling to Italy and all over Europe and that kind of thing like do you have a boyfriend or anything because you know you'd have to leave them like you'd have to be away a lot and I was like sorry what oh my god uh, yeah I know this was what year was this like 2015 yeah and I just remember that and I and I didn't realise at that point, I didn't quite realise how bad it was. So I came out and I just remember it was it was a grey and drizzly day in Basildon as well. And I don't know, I don't know how many people have been down to Basildon, but it's not the nicest. I've been, I've been to the exact building. Yeah, I know the exact place. Yeah. So I remember coming out, getting in my car and I rang dad. And I was like, yeah, you know, like if they offer me a job, I think I could, I think it'd be fine for a year. I said to him about the HR one and I, I knew I'd never take the HR one, but. I was like, you know, if they offered me the product demo role, yeah, it was all right, I'd do it, kind of thing. 
And that night I was driving up to Bury St Edmunds because the class interviews were the next day and class were putting up, there was a group of about 30 of us and they were putting us all up the night before. They, they were taking us out for a meal the night before and then the whole next day they'd gone through the CV and the applications and they'd allocated you to roles that they thought you'd be suitable for. So as well as the one that you'd apply for, they'd put, yeah, they put you into interviews in other departments or with maybe with dealerships. Um, and then they were doing activities as well to fill the time in between. Already much better, even if you don't do it. Yeah, already, yeah. already yeah. much better. And I, so at this point, I didn't realise kind of the CNH interview, I didn't quite realise how much I disliked it and how uncomfortable it had made me and all that kind of thing. And then I went to the class one and I was like, whoa, <laughs> like this was incredible. And I remember sitting there's this big group of us and a lot of us had all applied for the same same placements with the different companies so I remember sitting in the bar before we went for the meal and we all our phones all a load of our phones dinged and the John Deere email had come through saying we'd all got an interview with John Deere right. for a group of us and our so at this point and then yeah I had that interview with class the next day and I rang dad again on the way home and I was like oh CNH absolutely no like I'll go I'll go to class and they rang me at like 10 o'clock the next morning and said yeah we'd like to offer you a job um so I at that point I was I wanted to go like headquarters based because again that's what was cool um I wanted the office marketing role hindsight I'm absolutely not an office girl <laughs> so okay. yeah. they, they clearly knew that about me before I'd really realized that I would have hated spending 15 months being completely office based um and they were like yeah we'd like to take you on as a um like a product demonstration and the sales and demos basically um in Lincolnshire so I was based in Sleaford in Lincolnshire covering Lincolnshire and Yorkshire as well when needed and I went into 15 months with them and I loved it absolutely loved it um I knew that I never wanted to go into sales because I just it wasn't my it wasn't my bag but I I loved the demoing side and I it was just something completely different like I'd not I was pretty good on machinery beforehand but I just it excelled me like then it just took me levels up um and yeah I loved it so yeah I never even went to the John Deere interview I emailed them back and said oh thanks but no thanks and yeah. passed hell yes so it's yeah. good to hear that the placement's a positive thing because when I when I did my degree my undergraduate degree um it was just four years done uh, and I actually barely got practical in the first year this is the same place I now lecture at uh, a slightly different campus not a slightly different campus, a different campus, don't know why I said slightly. <laughs> uh, and then now we've been teaching the degree for two years and we've just revalidated the first year and placement was never a thing. Now it is. Uh, and I'm so glad it is because yeah. looking back, I would have benefited hugely from that. I'm going to choose to say access and not the other word. <laughs> uh, I would have benefited <laughs> hugely from that as well because if there's a, a knowledge base in farming i'm missing it's that one it's the it's the foundation one that you know that is what i'm i probably miss i know it now but you know there was a period of time where i really yeah. didn't um i think yeah, with the placement like obviously half a do it is compulsory but there's a lot of other unis will say that if you want to do a placement you can optionally go out and do it but i think it's that's a really hard thing to then make that decision to do because you're then actually losing out on the rest of your peers because if yeah. you take that placement year and no one else does then suddenly you're going to final year or whatever year it is and with a whole bunch of different people and I understand why people don't do it but I think for me when you're applying for a placement role you get such a better opportunity 
because I think those companies, they know they've only, in the, in the nicest way possible, if you're rubbish, they've only got to have you for a year. Yeah, so they're yeah. almost more willing to take that bit of a risk with you to put you into something higher than you probably maybe should be doing at placement to get you around different departments and all that kind of thing. And you just get more opportunities to cram stuff into that year-long placement or 15 months or however long you do it for than you necessarily do going straight into industry then in yeah. if you if you get into a grad role that's great but if you don't and you're trying to work your way up and I think it's a lot harder if you don't have that that bit of that placement year under your belt even if you only go out on farm it's a year on farm a year working as part of a team or maybe even I don't know maybe even managing a couple of people or probably not but still it's just it's just that experience under your belt and people are just a lot more open-minded with it I think so yeah, I, placement I'm such an advocate for. And I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Ours is is mandatory. Um, you can sort of play around with how you do it, and it's not a full year; it's a, like a term. Um, but quite a lot of our students have found employment from those places as well, which is good. No, I like it a lot, and I think it's a, it's one thing that that I am glad that the change has happened where we work or where I work. We don't work there, Charlie. We don't work there together. Um, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's been a really positive change. It's been a really positive change. Um, you mentioned Australia and New Zealand. Uh, you mentioned right at the start um, that your Instagram used to be called Globe Trotting Farm Girl. Is that right? Farm? Yeah. Farmer? Yeah, and yeah, so that's sort of what had sort of defined you at the start, and especially when you'd started posting things on social media. Um, tell us about your travels. <clears throat> yeah so again that I have my placement year to thank for that so um the end of my placement year class offered me a graduate job and um, that was back down at headquarters and was going to be more down the marketing route and I said thanks but no thanks because I want to travel and they were like well how about we set you up with Land Power which is the class the company that owns the class franchise in Australia and New Zealand and you can go out and do six months for them and then come back to the grad role and I was like amazing like brilliant absolutely I went to Australia because um I felt like New Zealand was going to be a bit similar to home so I wanted to go out and do something that was completely different and I just felt Australia was offering me more of that just different farming compared to <clears throat> compared to New Zealand so the plan was that I went out and then I came I went out in September came back in February and then started the grad role I got out there and after about like three weeks out there I was like oh this ain't gonna be long enough um, <laughs> so I got in touch with class UK and I said look I'm I'm really grateful for the opportunity um but I I'm gonna turn it down because I want to stay out here longer and um and they were really really good about it um they kind of said you know let us know when you're back and if if you know we can we can chat about it and I just yeah, I stayed out there for nearly two years and I did six months with Land Power and then I went off and worked on a beef and sheep property in New South Wales because the way the visas <clears throat> work out there, you have to do 88 days of farm work to be able to get your second year working holiday visa. Okay. Well, working for class wasn't, even though I was on farm every day, it wasn't classed as farm work because I wasn't working for the farmer. I was working for a big company. Um, so I... Um, yeah, so I, I left them, went and did the work on the property, and it gave me it gave, I got to see something different as well because I'm I'm obviously from a beef sheep, beef and sheep farm, and 
it was it was nice to see something other than just the machinery side of things. Did that, then went and worked for one of the customers that I'd met when I was working for class. So I went and did a harvest with them. Then I went back demoing for class in South Australia. So by this point, we're like a year and four months into me being out there. Um, oh, I got to go to New Zealand in my first six months as well. I remember my boss, Paul, ringing me up. Um, I was in Western Australia at the time and he was like, oh, Charlie, like we need, we need, to, I was demoing combines and um, he rang me and he said, oh, we need someone to go out to Oast New Zealand and drive the demonstrator fast track with a set of triple mowers on there. Like, I don't suppose you'd mind. And I was like, oh God, like, you know, Paul, you've really twisted my arm there, but yeah, go for it. I'll do it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I know, yeah. Oh God, such an arse. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was the first January I was over there and I went over and spent three weeks out in New Zealand and I drove, pretty much drove from Christchurch to Invercargill right down at the bottom of the South yeah. Island um, on a tractor with a set of triple mowers, just bouncing from contractor to contractor. Demoing, cool. and it was it was brilliant like the people I met um the guys I got to work with notice I said guys because it was all guys that I worked with pretty much just didn't see another female for like weeks at a time and it was the same all over really really um yeah unless I saw someone in a parts department or something so, so men heavy um <laughs> but yeah it was brilliant I absolutely loved it and yeah some I'm I'm still in touch with most of the people that that I well most of the people I worked with but a lot of the people that I demo to as well so the contractors that I go out and spend like a couple of hours with I'm still in touch with quite a few of those now um and they're really good contacts to have on hand um so when I've been back over since I've been and seen some of them and yeah I've made some really good friends out of it and yeah yeah I, I just I loved it I absolutely loved it so and then I came home 2019 kind of halfway through the year 2019 and haven't been away since though uh yeah i have <laughs> i um i went back out to new zealand then so i got home and then i applied i saw that the national sheep association were doing a scholarship so they were doing the samuel worry memorial award so it was just after yeah. he'd passed away and they'd done this um they'd introduced this travel bursary so um there were Two people that get to do it, so it was myself and another girl, Marie, and we both got to do it. So she went to Iceland and Norway, I think it was, <clears throat> to look at something to do with wool because she's a shearer. <clears throat> and I went to New Zealand <laughs> to look at the improvement of grassland, basically. And it was a lovely, it was another lovely jolly that I got to have out there. So I went and did another six weeks out then. And then I kind of thought that I'd probably go back out to New Zealand then and do a working holiday visa because I'd not I'd not utilized my working holiday visa and I'd only really traveled out there bar the three weeks that I did with class um and then COVID hit so then yeah suddenly I found myself at home and I went back out actually in March just gone for a wedding because one of my best mates from uni lives out there she met her partner out there who is actually Scottish so it's really ironic because it's a bloody long way to go and watch a Scotsman and an English girl get married but it was bloody <laughs> Yeah, but I, I was going to say, I'm sure you weren't that fussed about doing that. Uh, no, it- we went out for two weeks. No, we were we were away from home. So myself and another friend, Hannah, we were away from home for 13 days. It was a real flying visit. So, yeah, it was it was a bit mad, but it was brilliant. We had such a good time. Was was the Marie? It's Marie Pre- Preble. Pre- yeah, yeah, Pre- yeah, Preble. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know her. I just, Married now. 
she's a sheet of yeah, gold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and she's insane. Um, yeah. She's married now, and I can't remember what her married name is now. But... Not prevalent. I think like, is it, it might be like Smith or something. I can't remember. Preble's Sorry, a cool Bruce, name. if you're listening. And, yeah, Preble is a cool name. Yeah, isn't should it? should have got him yeah. to take that. <laughs> I would have um, taken It's a cool name. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to see if I can find her on Instagram, but I don't think I can. Um, I don't know if she's on Instagram. She does a lot on Facebook. Sure, she must be on Instagram. I'm not sure. I can't remember. The I, th- I think that thing you're talking about it's what Perry's got. You, you know Perry, don't you? Perry? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't, I don't know him. I kind of know him through Ailish. Um, yeah. I've never met Perry, but I know of Perry and whatnot. Um, yeah, that's, that's what, what he's doing. He's going out to New Zealand. Yeah, in November. Um, yeah, cool. That, that's just, just, he's told me that you've done it. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Um, yeah. He was, he was, I was on the phone to Perry last night. We are both talking about visas. Oh, my God, I've got to get one for Tanzania. Um, I leave in two days. Uh yeah, so that's, that's a good thing to remember. It's fine. They don't take long. Nothing to worry about. You say that. So when just quickly, when we went to... I feel like I don't want to hear this, Charlie. I feel like that's no, the last thing really, I want to hear. No, no. Well, actually, it might, yeah, it might be the last thing you want to hear. I'll but go I'm going to tell go you anyway. Yeah, um, I'm sure you are. Well, yes, yeah, so when we went to New Zealand in March for this wedding, we didn't realise. So we flew the route we went because the flights were cheaper. I booked them. We went through America. Okay. Didn't realize that you have to have a um, a visa to go through America, like it literally on transit. So we were right. we were stopping in we were stopping in LA for like two hours, and then going out going to Sydney and then Christchurch, and we had to have this visa. So we literally got to check in, and they were like, "Oh, we can't check you in because you don't have the right visa." And we were like, "Shit!" Um, so we were sat on a Sunday afternoon thinking these visas aren't going to go through in time. We'd got like three hours because we were there early. We might have even had four hours or whatnot. And it was, we were sat there thinking they're not going to go through. Like how, and what, what can you do about it on a Sunday afternoon? Like it's nothing. So we were thinking, right, what do we do? And then mine came through first. And as the person that booked the flight, that was the worst feeling ever because I was thinking, what do I do? Like, do I go and leave Hannah if hers doesn't <laughs> come through? And I was like, I can't do that. That would be such an awful friend. Like she'd tell me to go, but I'd be fuming if I was her. And then, but in the end, they both came through, and it was like a dash through security and whatnot, and we got there. But then we got stuck in LA for a day anyway, so because we bloody missed our connection because our flight from Heathrow was delayed. And yeah, LA's probably not not top of my bucket list to visit again. <laughs> I can imagine. I might as well tell you and the listeners now my issue with Rwandan visa. I done the Rwandan visa application. It seems like Tanzania doesn't need one. But we've kind of decided in the last few hours. The last. I'll tell you a chicken. <laughs> yeah, we should just do it in case. Anyway, we uh, <laughs> Rwandan side sent it off. It got what was it? It was called uh, approved pending further documentation. So I had to send in a photo of myself against a white background. This is almost embarrassing to tell, and uh, an application letter thing. So I wrote a wee story. Um, <laughs> Oh, embarrassing. I wrote the wee story, put the application letter in. I put it in the Dropbox for the photo. Didn't realise this at the time. And then I put the photo in, <laughs> clicked the wrong photo and put a photo of me and my cat, right? So... <laughs> thank you for that, Charlie. That makes me feel much better. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
know when you and your dog, it's you and your cat. They were like, oh, what a loser. You love cats. And you, oh, God, this is why you, this is why you and Amish get on so well. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. Anyway. It, it's sorted now, though. It is sorted now. Uh, Rwanda is... So is your cat going with you? What's that? Is your cat going with you? Or? Oh, my God, I would love to take wee Jameis. Um, but no, what, he's what's not. What's your cat called? Well, his, his real name's James, but there's a reason I've changed it to Jameis because he jumps up so I can like hold my hand out and he'll jump like three metres into my arm. And uh, I've made a TikTok account about him and if it ever blows <laughs> up, we can call him Famous Jameis. So that's kind of the reason. <laughs> uh, that's brilliant. I, I, if you if you look, I'll send you the video after we've stopped recording of, uh, of wee Jameis jumping up. We found him. He was like this size. Uh, basically dead on the side of the road, and uh, we took him in, and uh, yeah, Aww. now we have, now we have little James. But that is a bit of a romantic story. It yeah. is, isn't it? And now he's coming to Rwanda. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we mentioned mentioned right at the start, uh, Charlie. And for those listening, if if you do want to go follow Charlie, it's Charlie Farms. But um, the the Instagram was was a thing that that you use. You post a lot on Instagram. You're very good on Instagram. Um, I wanted to ask, but it's always a bit boring to ask, why do you post on Instagram? That's not what I'm going to say. You're sort of involved in the, the AHDB side of things from a social media perspective. Can you can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so probably am. So I, I started the Globe Crossing Farm Girl when I was out in Australia and New Zealand. And it was kind of just a way for me to document it, really. Like it was only to friends and family. And then suddenly I was putting pictures up and I, it's really it's really quite scenic out there. So you can get some quite nice photos and suddenly just, more people were following um and you know that was quite cool so I kind of documented it a bit better and I spe- I suppose especially with the machinery stuff like you know boys like kit don't they so yeah. I you know I was posting big combines and stuff like that and just like I said it was just really documenting what I was doing and then when I came home through getting the scholarship through the NSA um HDB got in touch with me and asked if I would face their that year's Love Lamb Week campaign so those of you who don't know, Love Lamb Week is the 1st and 7th of September every single year. And it's a campaign that AHDB run um, to promote the consumption of lamb when it's at its peak supply in the UK. Because every all UK consumers think of lamb as a spring meat when actually, yeah. because they're born in the spring, it's the surplus and the, the peak production is autumn. Um, so that's set up for that. And... Um, it kind of just went from there like from that I then did like a couple of news articles I started doing writing a couple of articles for the NFU and uh, so like NFU countryside um, I was doing some TV stuff because obviously Brexit and everything was going on at the same time so um, and I'm not far from AHDB headquarters either so I'm only kind of well I'm t- about 20 minutes away from Stony Park um, which is where like NFU headquarters HDB and a load of breed societies are and so I was, I was quite easy and accessible for them to get to as yeah. well so if they need to come out and do some filming I'm not far away um and yeah I just it just kind of blew up from there really and then I got a gig as a young farmer columnist for the Farmers Weekly so I did that for I've just finished so I've done two and a half years um which is the general amount of time that they'll run us for um before they get some fresh blood in and you know you're no longer classed as a young farmer I suppose <laughs> um <laughs> And yeah, it just kind of it kind of went from there. And I, I, I just enjoy Pete talking to people about our industry and why we do what we do. And I think it's such a vulnerable industry. And there is a stereotype out there that is, 
you know, if you ask kids in the school to draw a picture of a farmer, they will all draw a man. And yeah. there is that stereotype of a farmer being a grumpy old boy with a shotgun slung over his shoulder going, get off my land. And it's not now. Um, you know, that stereotype is changing and there are a lot more youngsters in agriculture and there are a lot more females. And not really about the female side of things because it's agriculture is such a volatile industry that it's about who's practical and who's capable. But it's, I just, I feel so passionately about promoting why we do what we do and the standards that we do it to. So we're farming to the highest environmental and animal welfare standards in the world. And I think that's something that we should be really proud of. And with all this net zero talk and everything like that, it's something that we really need to be pushing as an industry because we have the potential to be able to, to be net zero as an industry, let alone as a country. As an industry, we do. As a country, I'm not so sure about it. But there's no point in just us being net zero because like, we're, a, we're a planet. We're not gonna, it's not going to be a case of everyone else goes down on fire while the, the UK survives. We are going to go down together. So I think it's really important. And I think the only way for us as an industry to ever become truly sustainable is if we have the full backing of our consumers and the general public. Yeah. And they're being greenwashed at the moment in the way that they buy the way that they purchase energy, food, everything, they are being greenwashed by our government. It's not, you know, we can look at this whole them planting the oak trees to ship the car, the CO2 up to the North Sea, and but they're on about they're on about drilling all the oil out at the same time. And it's like pick a side, you know, it it's, you can't, it doesn't doesn't work like that. Um, so I just think it's really important that we we promote what we do and we show people why we do it and we help people make the best decisions not only for them but for us as a population i completely agree and the, the net zero thing is is obviously good <laughs> moving towards that is good but the, the thing that worries me is like you're and, and it seems to have died down talk of this at the minute in fairness but i assume it's still happening that the idea of moving towards a, a, a almost currency-based carbon format so carbon credits whatever and the idea that the, the typical answer to this is a some billionaire or some billion pound company or whatever buying, I don't know, 10,000 hectares of trees. And the, the point I've made on that is nothing's changed. <laughs> you no. just I, it is greenwashing. Yeah, of course yeah, it is. Greenwashing. You know, yeah. it might be a really good income stream for us as farmers in the next few years, but it's still greenwashing. It's still something I'm so uncomfortable with. I think there's real, there's real, uh, like potential for biodiversity credits yeah. and things like that, where company large companies are able to purchase biodiversity credits and actually see physically see what farmers are doing, what those farmers they're buying the credits from are doing on farm to improve and enhance the environment around them. But carbon credits, I just think is such a farce because how is it all right for Ryanair to offset their flights by buying trees that are, by, yeah, by buying carbon credits? Because and they expire like then you know once they're bought they're bought so what are they going to do when those run out and it's not going to have actually made a physical bit of difference anyway because we're not yeah, really changing what we do like we're value so a lot of it we've you know we've sat and spoken to companies that are, are, are valuing putting a value on carbon credits and how they're doing it per hectare per acre and they're doing it on the practices that you engage and most of those practices are things that we are already doing so actually we're selling carbon credits but we're not changing a lot of what we do either. So in theory, 
we're, we're you know industries are still producing carbon we're selling the carbon credits to offset it but we can't offset it because we're already we've already offset the carbon that's already been produced it's just it's ridiculous i think it's i think it's yeah i think it's absolute greenwashing it's like when you ask mps about food security and why that's not more of a priority um and they're like oh it's okay because we can just import it and it's like yeah we can import it and don't get me wrong i don't want to stop importing things because i love cheese um and i love wine <laughs> um but it's you know we need to make sure that we're importing things to the same standard that we're producing them and not undercutting uk farmers and if we're not producing them to the same standard if we're not importing produce to the same standard then it needs to be costing the consumer more or because just telling them that it's better isn't enough of an incentive for people to buy them when they're trying to feed a family in a cost of living crisis yeah all right they i know they'd love to choose the better environmental decision but that's not economically viable most of the time so they're just it, it's just ridiculous i could go on about this for hours but i can tell oh, i agree entirely i completely <laughs> completely agree i was at a i was at a sort of seminar thing um with someone who's really interesting <laughs> so interesting i can't remember her name uh oh, that's terrible lou i think was her name i can't remember her surname and she's written a, a book about it's called something like the avocado something and i thought she was like pro production that we do you know um extensive meat production extensive dairy production animal production in this country producing what we can grow here and not importing too much obviously for getting cheese because that would ruin your life uh, but the the thing that i took huge pleasure in from that day was she was saying you know um I can't remember the exact exact comparison she had, but it was something like a kilo of avocados is better for the environment than a kilo of insert something. I think it was beef. I think it was beef. Now, she never said us eating it in this country. She just said it in general, which is quite easy to be correct if you're looking at a completely uh, synthetic water-transported uh, feedlot unit in the States. Correct. You need about 14,500 litres of water to do each kilo of beef if you're eating that avocado in the country that avocado is produced. She manipulated all that. In all a sustainable this. way of those avocados being produced because they exactly. take so much water. That's For sure. Taken, oh, yeah. Yep. And she ended it by saying uh, that is how we solve the food security problem in this world, on this planet. And she goes, uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, food security is yada 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 and then they opened up the questions I can't even remember my question but I was more focused on my intro I said uh, Wallace Curry agricultural lecturer master in food security right which is true I didn't just make it up um, and I saw her like go oh shit <laughs> this isn't just a room uh, of farmers that aren't interested in anything that that's the perception that she has of farmers yeah um and I said something, and it was, I've never felt so powerful because everyone clapped. Uh, I generally can't remember what I said, but this idea that, I don't know, avocado seems to be the face of su sustainable, healthy living. The sugar content in avocado, I believe, is 19%. Um, the, the fact that we can't, grow, I, we're sitting in a volcano here uh, in the Isle of Arran. I'm not going to be growing avocado out there. Like, it just, it, it annoys me. And that's moving away from, from direct carbon credits to sort of indirect. But uh, yeah, um, I feel like both of you and I could sit here and sort of rant away about this for some time, but it's... Uh, I it's mean, I reckon we could sort it all out between us, but... 
<laughs> who needs the politicians? Um, oh, God, exactly. Don't ask me about politics. I know nothing about it. Uh, I'll embarrass probably myself. Probably the best way. Yeah, probably leave it that way. Leave it that way. Someone shouted at me today in the co-op for we had a chat about this, funnily enough, and I'd said, like, I uh, I don't vote, and they got very angry at me. And I get you should vote, but I just couldn't care less. Um, yeah, it's a... It's it's interesting yeah. to talk about and whatever, but uh, uh, I like what I like what you guys, as yourself and those involved, as well as AD, a, AHDB for pushing it, um, are doing. I think it's good to think it's pushing things in the right direction. I think it's really progressive. Um, so if you are listening, go and follow AHDB, and quite often they'll do these. It used to be called Circle of Influence. It's now called what's it called now? Charlie's changed its name, hasn't it? Um, what is it? Is it just the circle now? Is it just the circle? That sounds right. Yeah, I think that's because. That's because um, us in the group chat uh, threw a bit of a paddy about it being called the Circle of Influence because we found it quite cringy. I did hear this. Yeah, I did hear this. Yeah. So, um, um, yeah, it's not cool. I, I, yeah, it is the circle. Yeah. Um, right, I have a question yeah. for you. I, I, I um, We're coming up to that stage where I sort of ask everyone the same two questions, but I'm going to throw one random one out at you. Are you an influencer? So, I would say... I, I would have always said no. And then I did a talk at Driffield Show a couple of weeks ago um, as part of their, they do like a next generation um, okay. society for the show. And it's like, it's like bridging the gap between young farmers and being on their show society or being, I guess, like involved in the NFU locally. And I, I was actually really impressed with it. I kind of thought it's something that we're really lacking down here in Warwickshire. And it's something that more areas could really value from. Anyway, so there was myself and Rebecca Wilson. Um, and so she's definitely an influencer because, you know, she's yes. bigger on the, on the old socials than me. Um, and we both spoke and we both, we both went down the same route of getting up definitions for influencer. I can't exactly remember what it was, but it was about impacting the choices that, people make on the way they live their life or the products they buy so actually I'd like to hope that I am in the way that I hope that what I talk about and the way that I um you know just kind of what I delve into on social media that I do have an impact on and hopefully in a positive manner you know I obviously hope that I don't put off someone off um buying British produce but I hope that I do impact them and influence them on the choices they make. Um, so whilst it's a term that makes us all cringe, really, you know, it is what I, I do that channel for. And I think as well, I do a lot of it because I think that I think children, particularly primary age children, are our key audience when it comes to changing the mindset of a generation and uh, the mindset and kind of educating our consumers. I think there are our target audience and I think I spent I spend a lot of time on my platform particularly helping or explaining to other farmers and other people within the industry not necessarily farmers how they can best go about making that impact on those people so yeah I, I hope I I hope I do have an influence um you know even if it's just one or two people um you know whether you label that with influence or not is it because it is a bit cringy isn't it really um but at the end of the day, yes, I, I do hope I have that positive impact. So, yeah, I would say you are. 
And Instagram, yes, you're also the chair of a full district of young farmers and so you're influential on that side of things. And I think we 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 say we're not influencers or have influence or whatever, because when we think of influencer, we think of some millionaire 17-year-old TikToker selling a necklace they've never seen before. Like that's that's different. That is what is termed an influencer, but I think the names change yeah. now. I got asked it once and I was like, and I, I took a second to answer. My answer was, I think social media wise, yes, on a small scale, but I think my largest influence is as as a lecturer. You know, yeah. if I don't see myself as influencing me, I'm doing something wrong, you know. Um absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I just that would yeah. be a problem. It would be. I, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, the key is that everybody I talk to on my platform, a lot of, because a lot of the, well, the majority, the vast majority of people that follow me are people that are already seen from the same hymn sheets as me. They already have a vested interest in food and farming in the countryside, whether they're from this country or whether they're from Australia, New Zealand, a few from America. You know, there's a, there's a few from around the world. Predominantly the UK, quite a few in Australia and New Zealand though, because of the travelling. Um, but they're all. They're all ve- they all have a vested interest in what I do. And so, you know, you, you can get to a point of preaching from the choir, but I kind of think of it as each one of those people then has their own influence on other people. They have their, their own network of people that are listening to what they do and what they say and how they do things. And if I can help them best portray the industry that we represent, then we're going to have a bigger impact and a more positive impact. So, yeah, I think that's kind of the way I look at it. No, I could yeah, Speaking at Driffield really made me think about that question because the, to- yeah. the topic was um, agricultural influences and the role social media plays in farming. And I was like, oh, God. And I kind of spoke to a couple of people and was like, what would you want to hear? And, yeah, and it made me think about it. And that's the conclusion I came to. You have just said the almost, almost, not quite, almost the exact title of a PhD draft proposal I've written. <laughs> Um, really (laughs) i'll send you if you're weird enough and want to read that sort of thing yeah yeah Um, i would do it's it's just a draft proposal it's only about two thousand words just a sort of fake project uh, project proposal that i wrote you're in luck because i haven't got a book on the go at the moment so you know i've never read a book you've never read a book no i haven't no i hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. You Hold on. As in, you've just never read a book? How else would I mean it? <laughs> <laughs> so you've... You have not- Surely, you, like you'd have read schools, books at school. You're a lecturer, and you've never read a book. We read a uh, like bits of books, but I never read a full one. You've never read a full book. No, it's not. It's oh, actually that's a lie. I've read Kipper Does Weather, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's literally. So who else told me this, and I didn't? Do you know? So I'm outing her here, really. Um, Rosie Bennett, chair of NFYFC. I'm pretty yeah, sure yeah. she told me that she's she hardly she's read like two books in her life or something like that. 
I've probably drastically underestimated there and I'm really sorry Rosie but I just I will always remember her telling me that she just never reads or just has hardly ever read anything I'm such a bookworm like I've just my little house here I've got like over 200 books just in this bit and in the main farmhouse there's way more now like I mean it's going to be a really random way to start this next sentence. I've been single for a couple of years, right? But when I wasn't single, <laughs> I was like, you know, you'd be lying in bed with your partner or whatever, and she'd tell you some, she'd show you like a a, a, a post to read. Probably the reason I'm now single is she'd be like, are you done yet? And I'm like, nope, first sentence still. <laughs> I'm such, such a slow reader. Like, <clears throat> like yeah, I mean, I, 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 uh, I mark dissertations. Um, and it takes me years. <laughs> yeah, it uh, would. Yeah. <clears throat> oh my god! See, so I, I think I always think. I mean, I can't be because I am single as well. But I always think I'm the perfect partner because I really don't care what you watch on TV. I'm not really that interested in TV. I've got a TV. It comes. It doesn't even come on once a week. And I'm like, you what? You watch what you want on TV, and I'll just roll over with my Kindle or my book, and I'm more than happy. So in that respect, I just think I'm the perfect partner. Clearly. Partner. nobody agrees <laughs> but um <laughs> but yeah I just because I, I just think oh I don't really care what you're watching on tv I just I don't I'm not good on films or this is uh, this is randomly became really sad uh about... <laughs> oh god it's really taking a turn hasn't it <laughs> that's it that, the ex- I did the exact same conversation with Holly Thompson uh who oh my god what was her original name that is terrible Oh my God! Just Holly. Oh um, yeah. In the country oh, yeah, magazine. In the country. Yeah, in the country. When you said, I know, I know Holly. Yeah. yeah I spent now, time in New Zealand with Holly. Oh, there you are. No way. We we sort of spoke about this the exact a similar thing, but um, the uh, oh God, I was going to say something there, but I can't remember at all now. It was about the perfect partner thing. No, nah, can't remember. Cannot remember at all. Um, but yeah, no, never read a book. Never read a book in my life. And I have tried on, I wouldn't say numerous occasions, but a few occasions. I just, no. Nah. Do you listen to uh, audiobooks? No, nah, I don't listen to podcasts. I don't watch YouTube. I basically don't watch TV. I, Which is I mad. Really, you're a podcaster and you don't listen yeah, to Yeah, I know. Well, the thing is, like, I guess I listen, like I'm listening to you. You know, and, and I'm filming two a week, uh, yeah. so I'm listening to those stories. Um, but no, I, I'm I consume very little mm. content apart from The Office. I watched The Office, Brooklyn Nine, <laughs> and Big Bang Theory, and it's just reminded me what the thing I was going to say was in The Office. Andy at one point goes, um, "Oh, it's been really difficult to try get used to cook for one and not two. And uh, one of them says, "Oh, you'll find someone one day, Andy," and he goes, "Nope." Some people are just meant to be alone. It's not sad. It's not a pity party. Actually, no, it's not even a party. It's just sad. (laughs) (laughs) I've never never watched The Office, but that was great. I appreciated that. I'll uh, I'll try to find that link. I'll send you. It's so funny. Uh, It is... Every time I laugh at that line, every time. That is good. I've seen, like, clips, and I've seen clips of... Um, oh no, I've seen a full episodes of the Big Big Bang Theory, but I've never watched Brooklyn Nine Nine either. I just yeah. I can't concentrate on TV. So, no, but podcasts, I, like, I don't really listen. Set the background. Yeah. Like podcasts, I listen to the old farming one, but I don't. Most of them, <clears> most of them are on true crime and history. Everyone listens <laughs> to it. Be... Popular. 
yeah yeah true crime like don't piss me off because i could get rid of a body right okay this is again where i've asked another question not expecting to do what would be your main mode of doing that hmm i'd buy some pigs (laughs) yes they do that in brooklyn 99 fun fact do they wow um yeah, there was a serial killer a in Canada. Yeah, it has. There was a serial killer in Canada in the eighties um, called Willie Pickson, and uh, yeah, he basically murdered sex workers and fed them to his pigs. But his downfall was that he didn't grind up their teeth because they identified them from their teeth. The pigs won't eat their teeth, just in case you were wondering. And nobody has pissed me off this much yet, though. I don't own any pigs. <laughs> no one's no one's um, tried to choose. We, we should probably cut this bit. Otherwise, it will be it will be just sad. It won't be a party. It will be just sad. <laughs> no one's tried to steal your Kindle off you yet. That's that's that would be the level. That would, be that would level. do it. Before we move on to the last few questions, and I do plan on leaving this in because this has been quite the turn. I've enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> oh God, Charlie, you will love this. Look up. I can't wait for you. This. Uh, look up not this part just the part that we just said look up um, a story about twin farmers that I'll just say killed someone that's all I'll say in Scotland a few years ago if you can't find it I wouldn't worry about watching it yet watch it after but I'll, I'll send you the link it is the most horrifying story I've ever heard and I was told it by someone that knows them uh, so yeah I'll, I'll tell you after but uh, the last two questions fun caveat the last two questions we ask everyone I don't know if you've ever listened to an R2cast but the last two are um, one where do you see yourself in five years which for you and I is not a nice question anymore because it now means we begin with a three and uh, two if you, you didn't any- need to point that bit out no, I did. I feel like I have to. I do it all the time. Um, if you had any tips, for, I've had someone on the podcast who was 17. Seconds me. Um, oh. Yeah, no. They were like, I was like, where'd you see yourself in five years? And they were like, four years younger than you. And I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh. Yeah, that one hurt. So, oh, yeah, God. Where'd you see yourself in five years? And if you had any tips for folk coming into farming, what would they be? Uh, I honestly don't know in five years' time. Um, I like that answer. Uh, yeah, I honestly don't know. I've got some stuff in the pipeline that I'm not quite at the point of discussing on a podcast yet. Might be by the time it comes out, but I just, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure where I'll be. I'm not sure what I'll be doing. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, next question. <laughs> Excellent. That's interesting. Let's hope it doesn't involve pigs. Um, the next question. Is... <laughs> yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going to Canada, rural Canada, <laughs> to buy some pigs. Um, if you'd any tips, but I really outed myself there. Nah, here, that's class. I love that. I love that. I love that. <laughs> uh, if you had tips for folk coming into farming, what would they be? Um, the industry really needs you. So I. I'm very lucky to have been born into agriculture and I recognise that, but I dare say that a lot of people don't recognise that and they still see farming as a right and not a privilege. Um, It is a privilege. It's not a right to be farming and with the volatility of the industry, we have no room to be carrying people. 
um, if you're not efficient, if you, you know, I see people all the time in, on, in farming and I know it's hard, but I see a lot of people going, oh I, oh, I can never take a holiday because we can't afford to employ someone and we can't afford to take that time off and there's no one to cover for us. And I just kind of think, well, I don't know their full circumstances, but I do think that, it, you know, there's, the, oh God, I don't know if I really want to say this and really out myself and been for a lot of hate here, but I just think that if you can't afford to take that time off or that couple of days, that couple of nights and get someone else in to do it, unless you've got really exceptional circumstances, I just think that you're not doing it right because if you're not living, leaving yourself that financial leeway and that to, to be able to do that, then how are you going to survive when something big comes along? And I dare say that everything big has come along and that there will be more to come and there's more uncertainty. But yeah, so anyone coming into the industry now is the, the perfect time because it's, it's, so, it's so unpredictable and we need fresh minds and we need people that are willing to absolutely work their backsides off. And uh, someone uh, someone on Instagram actually messaged me this the other day and I think I think she said she was she's mid-20s and I can't remember if she'd got any I think she got some in, some experience in agriculture currently not in the industry and wanted to get back in and personally I think if you're at that point she was in a stable job so financially comfortable um I don't know how comfortable as to whether she'd be able to up and leave that and be able to support herself for a few months to make a transition but I said to her I was like look you know I think your best way your best foot in the door is to find a relief milking job somewhere because dairy farmers generally have that that higher labor intensity they need more staff so if you can find some relief milking then you get that bit of um, experience around livestock you could maybe squeeze in a little bit of um, machinery and then find a lambing job and then just work your way up from that which isn't that isn't ideal and I know that because it's not you're not going to get paid a fat lot and you're maybe not going to enjoy yourself that much to begin with because that probably isn't where you want to be relief milking for the rest of your life I couldn't think of much worse well I could think of plenty worse but much worse within farming um but yeah I just ask the questions like get yourself out there uh, it is really hard finding practical experience on farm like we're beef sheep and arable here and the only time I can ever justify having someone on the farm to help is when we're lambing because it's the only time we need somebody and the rest of the time like we've got really quiet cattle but if we have someone around that's inexperienced with the cattle and something goes wrong that that's on our heads and the over the summer you know between the three of us there's, there's we've got enough enough hands on deck and it so it is hard especially with the way that automation is going but you know whether you get yourself into a college course but it depends on your age then as well you know are you at the point in your life where you can walk onto a college course or are you for a lot of people that are maybe a bit older like our age or something walking onto a college course with a load of 16 year olds like not that easy to do but yeah talk to people ask questions it's quite interesting you say that i've got quite a few students that are older than me um yeah, but that's a university isn't it i think uh, it's different at university to college still first year of university so like still your college essentially it depends how you look at it yeah. but yeah you're i was right. at uni with a few that were older than us but and they're brave you know they are brave yeah yeah I, and, and you were you were sort of worried about saying um you know if you're not able to get that time away if you're not able to do whatever i, I would agree and i think even let's forget 
business sort of sustainability and whatever for a minute, like mental health wise and just general, like you're you're not only here to work. I think in farming we forget that. We forget sometimes that because we're producing food that we are still people and we are still able to have yeah. that. We are still, yeah. So no, I, I would completely agree. Um, and everyone says, oh, you know, it's, it's a lifestyle, not a job. And while they're right, it doesn't mean that it's not something that you need to get away from and have a change of scenery from. Yeah. Like it is that old that old saying, like get off the farm once a day, out of the village once a week and out of the county once a month and out of the country once a year or however it goes. That yeah. is, I couldn't, I, I think that's so important. So Sounds important. like the country most months. Uh, <laughs> that's the real solution. Um, Perfect. Oh, here, Charlie. It's been a pleasure. We have uh, we've been speaking for an hour and a half. It sort of flies by. Uh, it does. It does. Sort of it does. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. No, it's been brilliant, and you have been on the list for a while. And as I said, I did give you one challenge: if you can get someone else on, and I know she's listening to this. So, Ailish, we will get you on one day. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, Charlie, it's been a great episode. We have had New Zealand, Australia, shocking questions from people during interviews. We've had how to hide a body. We have had the <laughs> that has been a shebang. And uh, also, if uh, you are someone single and you like don't like books, this is the wrong person for you. That's probably the things to know after this episode. No, I don't think it is. Because like I say, if you don't like books, that's fine. Because You'll just take it away. you can have the TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't yeah not really, I always think that that's a pro I think that that's an opposite to track moment because I'm like I don't care what's on the TV we are not going to fight over the remote ever <laughs> no it's definitely been one of the most diverse episodes so uh, thank you for that it's been a good <laughs> I've certainly enjoyed it as well and hopefully hopefully that miracle you mentioned at the start has happened and by the time people are listening to this harvest is over uh, for yourselves but um, as you said that might might not be the case but uh, for everyone listening we love a bit of optimism that's it that's it that's it uh, for everyone listening that's been charlie charlie Beatty, number 128 um <clears throat> our last episode as i said was Gemma, and i think i probably want to plug one one before i think it was 126 if not it's josh josh Heineke, which is h-e-y-n-e-k-e -E. sounds very much like a nice beer but it is not <laughs> and he sort of speaks in I hope uh, Charlie's dogs come and say hello. Uh, the, one of the things he mentions was talking about sort of they tried to get into farming and uh, they were sort of some of those people that thought farmers are doing it wrong. Why aren't they doing it better and all this sort of thing. And, and Josh openly says he lives to, to eat his words and, and I think it's really respectable sort of how he went over that. He speaks about being the only organic duck farmer in the UK uh, and he speaks about now going into worm farming and worm casts. So that's a really cool episode. I would go check that one out. The next one coming up <clears throat> is if you um, are in farming, a lot of you will be, uh, I, I would personally say, this is a thing that people disagree with, but personally say benefited by the NFU, whether that's in England as NFU or in Scotland, NFU, Scotland, Wales, I believe it's NFU, Cymru, I'm probably that wrong, I've never known how to say it, um, but yeah, another story there, so thank you very much for listening, Charlie, thank you for coming on, um, and yes, we will see you for the next episode, see you next week. I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2Cast, I just want to take this moment to quickly thank our primary sponsors once more, A-Plan Rural. If you follow A-Plan on social media, you'll see the work they're doing to really promote British farming 
and back our industry. It's been a pleasure working alongside A-Plan Rural so far and long may it continue. The values of A-Plan Rural runs perfectly in line with the whole mantra of Rural to Kitchen and I'm glad to have them on board. Check them out on Instagram at A-Plan Rural and on Facebook at A-Plan Rural Insurance. See you for the next podcast.